You're listening to the Clean Water Made Easy podcast, episode number three. Hello, and thanks so much for tuning in to the Clean Water Made Easy podcast. My name is Jerry Bolfin. I'm a water treatment contractor and WQA certified master water specialist. In this podcast series, I give easy-to-follow tips and information all about well systems, well water quality, well water treatment systems, and how to improve quality of your well water. And on this podcast, today's podcast, we're going over water testing, well water testing. Basically, reasons why you should test your well water periodically, what to test for, how often should I test my well water, when to use a certified lab versus doing it yourself, and a test you can do yourself today at home without any test kit and get the basic idea of one of the parameters of your water. Now, some of this is a little technical, but <clears throat> if you want, I have a free guide that I created to go along with today's podcast. It's a it's our uh, complete guide to well water testing, and uh, I'm offering it free. Uh, if you want, you can get it by texting the word water test, all one word, water test, to 44222, and then we'll get it going to you. Or if you want, you, you can download it, go to the website, cleanwaterstore.com slash podcast, and this is episode three, so just go to episode three and you'll, you can get the guide that way too. In the guide, I show some sample water test reports, what to test for based on your needs and goals and situation, and also some easy-to-follow charts and, and resources on water testing. Now, there are really a large number of well water test kits and water testing labs available for the home water well owner, which is really good. They're, they're, they're getting better, cheaper, and more accurate, uh, and, the, and there's a proliferation of um, uh, well certified tests too. There's, you can get fine certified labs in all states. And so it, these, these tests make it uh, relatively inexpensive for you to test the water yourself, the test kits, or you can have your water tested. So at a lab. So you might ask, why should I test my water? Well, if you think about it, municipal city water systems test their water routinely, regularly they're on top of it, making sure the water is safe. And they, I mean, they're required to anyway, but there's no requirement to test a private well, except when you first have it drilled or maybe you're refinancing your home and they, they know you're on a private well, they might want a, a basic test for bacteria, perhaps nitrate and a few other things. But the government isn't going to come after you to make you test your well water. And situations can change over the years. Perhaps your well was safe at one time, but now it's contaminated, but you don't know it because you can't smell or taste the contaminant. So it's a good idea. There's just a few basic things you should test for on a regular basis. The decision on what to test for is really based on the types of land uses near well and what your goals are. You know, we really find like six main reasons why folks want to get their well or should have their water tested. The first one is you have your a new well installed. So it's brand new. Or perhaps you're moving to an area, moving to a new home 
that has a well, you don't know anything about the water quality. That's a good time to get a comprehensive test done. <clears throat> or you're told by your bank that you need to for financing reasons. In other words, you're getting financing. The banks might will generally require a test. That has to be done by a certified lab. Another, another reason to get it tested is I, you, you, you come to the conclusion that perhaps your health problems are a result of the water. Or you just want to find out. I have health problems. I have a stomach problem. I have a skin irritation, whatever. You might want to just rule out that it's not coming from the water. So that's a good reason to have your water tested. You may want to <clears throat> troubleshoot a water treatment system. Find out if your water softener is working, if your iron filter or other treatment device. Maybe you have under sink or reverse osmosis. You want to find out how's it doing? Is it working? That's a good time to test the water. And then a really common one is I have aesthetic issues with my water. So people will come to say, yeah, I think my water is fine. I don't have any problems with it. It's tested fine for bacteria. There's no bacteria in it, but it stains. It's, I have rust problems. I have sediment. I have odors, whatever. There's all different kinds of aesthetic issues. In other words, it's not health threat. It's an aesthetic problem. That's a good reason to have it tested. And the last one that falls into the main group is corrosion problems. People will say, you know, I, the water's fine, but it's just corroding the heck out of my pipes. I'm constantly fixing leaks in my pipes, or I get blue stains from copper in my sinks. You know, so I know that the copper is corroding, so I have corrosion problems. That's a good reason to have your water tested. So the next thing to think about is, when do I use a certified lab versus doing it yourself? Well... The first three, you're getting a new well installed, or you're new to the well, you're being told by your bank that you need finance, you need it for financing, or you think you have, you want to see if there's any, your health problems are related to the well. In other words, it's a, it's a health issue. One of those three things, you should use a certified lab because they have, they have standard methods and more higher accuracy than the home test kit for the most part. It depends on the test, but generally... Um, especially for health and for reasons for bacteria and, and nitrate, it's good to have a certified test done. Plus, it's a good idea to at least have a certified test done at least once. In other words, say you're new to the home or you're new to the well, just get it done. At least you know at that point there's no problems. It gives you peace of mind because, you, you know, you, if you start out with a problem, then it's, you know, it's serious and you know you can do something about it. But if you don't get all those tests done, then you may live with water that's causing some problems that you don't know about. So the advantage of do-it-yourself test kits, though, are that you get the results immediately. They're lower cost. And maybe you don't need it to be exactly down to the, you know, the hundredth parameter of some uh, contaminant that you're trying to test for. In other words, you, if it's off by 0.1 or 0.2%, it's okay. So I'll give you an example. Like say you're trying to troubleshoot a water treatment system. You want to know, hey, I've got iron in my water. I think the iron ruined my water softener. How much iron do I have? You can do a home test kit, and whether you have 2.5 or 2.8 parts per million of iron, it's not going to matter in terms of getting an iron filter that's going to solve the problem. So you can get a, a fairly accurate home test kit and get set up 
to know what kind of iron filter or, or, or if you have an iron problem, whatever. Yeah, or th maybe you want to find out if your water softener is working. Well, actually, it's better to have a home do-it-yourself kit because you don't want to have to take a sample to the lab every time you check your water softener. Say you want to adjust your water softener to use less salt. Well, you, you, you don't want to have a laboratory test done every time. So there's some things like that that you want a home test kit for. And those, that's basically it. So if you're troubleshooting a system, if you have aesthetic issues with odor, stains, or sediment, or even if you have corrosion problems, those three areas, a home test kit might be better. It's definitely cheaper, and it might be more appropriate or, or, or accurate because you can make you can do the test, make a change to your system, and do another test right there. There's no going back and forth to the lab. All right, so let's let's talk about it. Mainly is... What contamination sources are near your well? That's the thing to really consider when you're trying to figure out what to test for. So like, give you an example, the Environmental Protection Agency, and all this is true of the Canadian EPA, also true of the World Health Organization, they, they recommend consider testing your well for pesticides, organic chemicals, and heavy metals at least once before you first use it the first time. So, and then you wanna test private supplies Private, your private well annually for nitrate, coliform, dissolved solids, and pH. So basically, that's what they recommend. It's up to you. Not a lot of times, the bank won't say if you're buying a new home, or even if you're drilling a well, they don't usually recommend you test, or they don't require you, that is, to test for pesticides. But if it's an option you can afford, it's not very expensive, it's a good idea to get it done, at least the first time. And then after that, <clears throat> get it done annually just for nitrate, bacteria, dissolved solids, and pH so you can track and see what's happening with the well. Nitrates are a very common form of contamination and it tells you if there's a, a problem. So let's talk about bacteria testing. That's a bacteria, col coliform bacteria and nitrate are the two main tests that the EPA and that the health department and a lot of times banks require you to do. It's very common. Bacteria, <clears throat> this coliform bacteria, live in the soil, they live in vegetation, and then also, if they're found in the intestines of warm-blooded animals, they're called fecal bacteria, that's E. coli. So it's basically total coliform, and then there's E. coli. Total coliform is everywhere, and you can... You can easily get contamination of a well with basically coliform bacteria just by having something contaminate the water from the surface. And it doesn't have to be fecal matter. It can just be any kind of, you could take some grass and or bugs and throw it down in the well and have come back positive for coliform bacteria. It's very common. It just means that, but it's a good idea because you don't normally find coliform bacteria in a properly installed well. Um, so... If you do see coliform bacteria in the water, then that kind of gives you a signal. Hmm, what's going on here? Something's contaminating my well from the surface. So you're at risk for other more horrible things like parasites or E. coli. So they just use coliform bacteria as a sort of a signal or a, a, a flag to say, hmm, this is a problem. We need to figure out what's going on here. And often when they when you do coliform bacteria, they often test for E. coli too to see if it's fecal, fecal matter. And coliform bacteria is one of the most common contaminants actually found in private water systems. A lot of times the test itself 
is a is test positive for coliform because the sample wasn't taken correctly. We'll talk about that in a minute, but it's easy to contaminate the sample if you stick your finger in the bottle or get some water that's coming from a the, the actual appliance or the fixtures contaminated, not the water itself. So coliform is a common problem in in wells and a lot of times it's it's there, maybe the well was serviced, was worked on, but they didn't shock chlorinate it, so they didn't sanitize it correctly when they were done. Or uh, the top of the well is cracked, there's a plug missing, or uh, a wire nut, or something's loose on top of the, uh, you know, conduit, or something's loose on top of the wellhead, and allowing um, critters, usually like we've seen, Earwigs even cause problem with, <clears throat> you know, coliform bacteria being positive. So that's something to definitely test for. It's a common thing. So the other, the next thing is nitrate. Those two go together. Nitrate is very common. It's from nitrogen fertilizers typically, but it can also be from animal waste, septic systems, and other sources. But at least in a lot of the areas in the U.S., if you have high nitrate, it's usually from agriculture, from nitrogen fertilizers. That's very common. And reason being is, is that nitrate is extremely water-soluble. So when they add it over a period of years into the ground, the water, this when it slowly percolates into the groundwater, it carries with it this nitrate. It might not carry the herbicides and the pesticides they spray on the plants to, for the vegetables and fruits, but they, but our grains, if you're in the Midwest, corn and wheat, <clears throat> but they, it's often the nitrogen fertilizer does get into the ground. And this is a problem. It's not a real issue to bathe in, but it's a problem for drinking. Um, it gives a direct uh, health issue with um, pregnant mothers and newborn babies. Um, so it can cause a blue baby syndrome where they get starved of oxygen. And also it causes miscarriages and so it's a problem for livestock, horses. Um, so anyway, it's, it's, it's a problem, but it's not a serious issue if you're an adult and you're bathing in the water and you don't drink a lot of it, but it is something to be aware of, to know. It's also, if you didn't have nitrate before and now you have nitrate this year, that it could be a sign that your septic tank is leaking into there unless you're in an agricultural area and you just think you're getting it from there. Okay, so the next thing is general mineral. We call it general mineral analysis. That is the next like classification or group. If you, this gets back to again, if you understand your water is safe, but you're attempting to solve a specific well water problem such as staining or odor or corrosion, you can get a general mineral analysis. This is one you can do it yourself too with the do-it-yourself test kit. But these typically cover alkalinity, copper, hardness iron, manganese, uh, nitrate, nitrite, pH, sulfate, total dissolved solids. Uh, some might include fluoride and chloride, but <clears throat> sodium, but it, it, these are the general minerals. It's not, a, they're not health threats. And it just gives you an idea of what's happening. So in other words, say your water, you have a lot of white spotting. You might want to see, well, where, what is this? Is it hard water? Do I have extremely high salty water? What's it from? So you, you you can find out by doing a simple general mineral analysis. If you have staining, it, you can do this general mineral analysis and find out, do you have iron? Do you have manganese? What's causing the staining? 
And pH is very important for corrosion. We'll talk about that in a minute. But that's the general mineral analysis. The next group is you get, you get to lump them in together as chemicals and heavy metals. These are the volatile organic compounds, pesticides, herbicides. There's also heavy metals such as arsenic, lead, mercury. Uh, then you have radon and radiological contaminants such as uranium. Radon is a gas and then uranium is a, an element. And so this obviously you need done by a certified lab as well. This is one of the one of the tests you should get done at least once. If you live in an area within a quarter mile of a corn, soybean, or a vegetable field, or wheat, you should test your water for nitrate at least regularly. And every couple years, test for pesticides and herbicides. It's not a bad idea. Um, that We've done so many tests, our customers have, and the small community water systems that we managed uh, over the years. And We'd see nitrate very commonly, but you don't see a lot of pesticides, herbicides in the deep groundwater, even in areas where there are intense agriculture is going on. It could be because the, the herbicides and pesticides are more uh, volatile. They gas off into the air or they break down quickly. Hard to say, but that, that's been our experience. But generally, nitrate is pretty common. So if you live in an area where there's... Um, heavy agriculture going on, you might consider a one of the more exhaustive lab tests to see if there's any pesticides, herbicides. The next is solvents, gas, and oil. You have household and industrial solvents, gasoline, and fuel oils are common examples of volatile organic chemicals or VOCs. Some VOCs are relatively non-toxic, but of course others cause cancer, birth defects, and other problems. Fuel oil and gasoline can enter the groundwater result of leaking storage tanks. We've seen this. Folks have started to get fuel oil or gasoline in their well, don't know where it came from. Turned out it was an old abandoned underground fuel storage tank. That's happened. So it can happen. If you live within a quarter mile of an active or abandoned gas station, uh, home or farm fuel tank or bulk storage tank, there is a chance of being contaminated and you should test at least once for VOCs from petroleum products. You also have paint thinners, dry cleaning chemicals, and industrial solvents. That would more come from leaking storage tanks, landfills, or industrial spills. If you live, again, within, say, a quarter, half a mile of a landfill, a dry cleaner, or an auto repair shop, it's not a bad idea to have VOCs, again, tested. Pesticides and herbicides. I just talked a little bit about pesticides and herbicides. Pesticides, you know, control insects and herbicides or to kill weeds. Uh, some of these have entered groundwater as a result of use on fields, and others have been found following spills or improper disposal. Um, so it's a good idea to get tested, especially it depends on where you live. If you, if you live right next to a, a cornfield, then, you know, you might want to get tested for atrazine. It's a common, very common, uh, er, you know, uh, herbicide used, uh, pesticide used. And you want, there's certain, there's certain several different types of, of herbicides and pesticides that, they, that are just so commonly used that they, these tests always test for those. And so it's a good idea to, if you live near that type of field, you know, to have it tested for at least once, see what's going on, and then you can decide whether you want to do it again every few years or not. The last one is corrosion problems. Very common. People have corrosion. They have like uh, pinhole leaks, um, 
And I'd see blue stains from copper in your fixtures, sinks, that kind of thing. Or if you have galvanized pipe, it's probably pretty old by now, but if you have that, then you could be getting corrosion from there, see rust stains from there. So for the for cro if you experience corrosion problems, you want to test for at least pH, alkalinity, total dissolved solids, and hardness, and then know what the water temperature is. If you have those five factors, then you can plug that into a calculator online and find out if your water is corros considered corrosive or not. There's different... Uh, saturation index calculators where you can, once you have these uh, parameters, these values for these parameters, then you can get a, get an idea of what of what's going on with your water from a corrosion standpoint. Of course, if you're getting corrosion, you want to, and you, especially if you're getting copper corrosion, then you want to test for copper and also test for lead because lead, if you're having corrosion problems, if you have any kind of lead in like say old lead solder in the, in the copper fittings, or even from some pipe, um, you might, you, you should know that that's going on. And when you're, when you're testing for lead and copper, you need to do what's called a first draw sample. Like for the, all the other tests, when you're taking the test, you want to run the water till you know you're getting water from the ground. In other words, you want to know your well is kicked in and you're getting fresh water coming out of the ground. It's not water that's been sitting in your pipes. Now that's different when you want to test for lead and copper. Because for those, you want to let the water sit overnight, say, sit in the pipe for eight or 10 hours. So you know you're getting water from within those pipes. That would be the time when you get the most corrosion is when, the, when there's first, what's called a first draw sample. Okay, so the, some people might ask, how do I take the water sample? Can I mail it in? And the truth is you can actually... If you can't find a local certified lab, you can send your samples in if it's been refrigerated. Now we're talking coliform bacteria. Other other tests, as long as you follow the sampling uh, instructions correctly that comes with the kit, um, then you can uh, you can send those in. You don't have to refrigerate it. But generally, what most folks do is that they'll there's a little freeze pack in there. You, you freeze that, and you so in other words, the samples get chilled, and you're you send it by overnight express. So in other words, with especially with coliform bacteria, it's got to be tested within 24 hours. Also, if you're going to if you're going to take your coliform bacteria sample into your local lab for testing, you want to make sure you take it over there right away. You don't have it sit around for four or five hours, six hours, unless it's been refrigerated. And then you also want to follow the instructions for sampling with coliform bacteria. You want to make sure you have a sterile bottle. Usually get that sterile bottle from the lab and you don't contaminate the bottle accidentally by touching inside of it. And you also want to make sure you don't contaminate your sample accidentally by running it from a dirty or contaminated faucet. Sometimes kitchen aerators have stuff in there that cause it to have coliform bacteria in a trace amount that can cause a false positive. So the idea is you want to make sure you're getting, again, you're running the water for several minutes, make sure it's coming from the ground. This is for bacteria testing. <clears throat> and you're you're getting a fresh sample and you're following the instructions correctly. And then if you have to mail it in, it should be refrigerated, sent in a freeze pack, sent by overnight. So in fact, you can't actually mail, like through the mail, a um, test for bacteria. But you can certainly mail samples for the other 
contaminants, general mineral analysis, it's no problem to send in a sample with that. You just want to make sure any bottles that you send in that have no air in them. In other words, you'd fill it up completely to the top so there's no air in the sample. Because if you have a little bit of air in there, then that could cause a change in the pH of the water. So ideally, you want to fill it up, cap it off right away, send it in. So you could mail it, but if you're going to send it for a bacteria sample, it has to be sent by Overnight Express. The other thing is that is that you have, with all these different kind of test kit options, usually there's some phone number on there or someone you can call and talk to about the what's in the results. So you don't, it isn't totally up to you to try to decipher what the results mean. A lot of times the water test will come with pretty good chart or guide saying, okay, if you have this, then this is the, this is good, this is bad. The, the gives you different levels of what the, what, what it means. And then, but sometimes you just want to talk to somebody, okay, I've got this test, kind of like getting the blood test done. You could look at it, but you, you don't know what it means. So you, but the doctor says, yeah, this is, gives you, he tells you what it is. Well, it's the same thing with water testing. With water testing, you can have a someone to talk to, it's very important. So that it's good to have like a someone that's experienced with the uh, well water parameters you're testing for, can give you a rundown of what it is, or at least you could ask questions or email. That That's pretty common and it's something you, you would expect. Okay, the last thing I was gonna tell you was that the how to test water yourself for hardness. There is a way, if you just want to find out how hard the water is, you can do a hardness soap test and you don't even, you can just use dish soap. So the way this works is you take a 12 ounce measuring cup or other container, uh, like it's like a, could be like a plastic bottle or a quart jar, and you measure 12 ounces into it. And then you, you add 10 drops of liquid dish soap and shake it. If you see lots of suds, then your water is most likely very low in hardness. If you do not see suds, then add another 10 drops. So now you've added 20 drops. Then at that point, your water is slightly hard. If you have to add another 10 drops, then your water is medium hard. If you have to add 40 drops, then your water is hard. 40 or over 40 drops, your water is very hard. So that gives you an idea. It works with most dish soap. There are some... Liquid dish soaps work better for this than others. The old, like the ivory works good, and um, I can't think of the other brand names, but there's a, there's there's mostly they do it does work pretty good. There's there's you can get dish soap that's made just for hardness testing too, but there's no point in doing that because at that point if you have to pay for something, you might as well just get a real hardness test kit. They're very inexpensive and more accurate. But if you just want to know if this water is hard or not, you can do a quick test using the hardness soap test and find out right away. Okay, I hope this uh, information has been useful to you. If you ever have any questions or, or problems about the uh, water testing or wondering, wondering needing more, more information from that, you can email us anytime. And also, I wanted to tell you in the next episode of this Clean Water Made Easy podcast, we're going to talk about how to do a physical test, physical inspection of your home system. It's very, very cool. There's a way you can look around, do a few simple checks of your pipes, your fixtures, and your toilet tank, your water heater, and just know, learn a wealth of information about your water quality. Even if you never get a water test, 
you can, which I don't recommend, of course, you want to have your water tested too. But even before you get a water test, I should say, you can go ahead and do a physical examination and learn a ton of stuff. So look, look for that in the next, next podcast. Hey, well, thanks for listening. I hope you have a great day.